How can you not be romantic about baseball? Bringing a high drive to left. This baby's way back. It is out of here. I don't believe what I just saw. Coswell slashes one foul. Oh, that hit a bird, and it bounces back into fair territory. Oh, I got I to gotta check the rule book on this one, folks. I'm too drunk to taste this chicken. Our ass is in the jackpot now. You're listening to Booze and Baseball. There's 50 feet of crap, and then there's us. A baseball first podcast, sort of, featuring Derek Johnson. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. And Dusty Baker. I heard that. Dynamite drop-in money. That broadcast school has really paid off. So sit back and enjoy the talk around the diamonds with a cold one in hand. Today's secret ingredient is beer! I love scotch. I love scotch. Scotch is got scotch. Here it goes down. Down into my belly. Hello and welcome into another edition of Booze and Baseball. Episode 48 for you here. I'm Derek Johnson along with me as always, Dusty Baker. Our throwback stat of the week is going to be real quick this week. Uh, this isn't really a throwback. This is a future throwback to March 31st of 2022 when the episode's coming out, which was the original planned opening day that got pushed back due to the lockout. It's okay. We're still set to start in a week. So, Dusty, what are you drinking tonight? Yeah, you know what? Uh, I'm so excited for this. Uh, our next podcast, we'll be talking about actual baseball happening which is super cool so yeah it's a bummer that we had to have it delayed a week but you know what in order to uh, honor this appropriately i have cracked it open it is none other than the clayton kershaw wicked curb grapefruit wheat ale and uh, i've had this beer before i want to say i may have had it on our second podcast and it was right when we were kicking off the world series back in 2020 it's amazing how different life is now and so uh to celebrate that derek we're back to sipping this once again. What are you drinking? I am drinking some Monkey Shoulder. It is a blended Scotch whiskey. Um, got to put it on the rocks with a little bit of ice. Um, the reason it's called Monkey Shoulder, it's actually like a historical name for uh, kind of like an injury that that people would get from milling malted barley by hand, and uh, it's really good for the price, in my opinion. Um, if you like blended Scotch whiskeys, so. Uh, delicious and a good way to kick off the night. Do you know where they sip monkey shoulder, Derek? Is this a joke? It is a joke. Maybe. No, I don't. The arm barn. All right. That, <laughs> wait, that makes sense. <laughs> oh, gosh. All right. We're going to one day call it started. no longer the bullpen. It's now the arm barn. I agree, but what did that have to do with monkey shoulder? Anyway. The monkey is hopped into the arm barn. <laughs> Me, Dusty, and uh, a friend of ours as well, who I think at some point is going to be a guest on our show, um, is all competed in this just kind of like random Roto League draft. Uh, we just finished drafting, and the idea was, you know, uh, the league we're in is a dynasty league, and it has, you know, slightly different categories. So this will, you know, add kind of perspective to maybe the, the normal leagues, the regular five-by-fives, which is what this is, a regular five-by-five Roto League with average, not OBP. Um, so we're just going to kind of go through the draft, go through some of the top picks, our favorite value picks, maybe some head-scratching picks, 
uh, and some ideas where maybe you could win or, or lose the draft at certain points in time. So I guess we'll just we'll start right off the top. And you said something while we were drafting that I think I, I should probably bring up here. You, the idea that, you know, it's, it, it's hard to completely mess up like the first two or three rounds. There are just so many good players that if you do happen to pick someone that messes up, it's probably not because you had a wrong process. It's probably because the guy got injured or just had like a randomly down year and he can't really control that. Um, but there was one very head scratching pick. I mean, uh, the first round went, you know, pretty much as, as you'd expect you know, all the names that come off the board, Vladdy, Juan Soto, Trey Turner, Jose Ramirez, Bobochet, so far down the list. The first pick of the second round, uh, Chris Bryant, that was a bit of a curveball. Yeah, you know, I do think Chris Bryant's value has gone up, but uh, it's not second-round value. And uh, no. the team that drafted Chris Bryant had a few head-scratchers. So, uh, you know, two rounds later, uh, pick 37, he took Kenley Jansen, and that was before any of the – He was the first closer. Yeah, that was the first closer taken before um, Derek ended up snagging Josh Hader at a much more appropriate time. Obviously, Liam Hendricks was taken in the fifth round, uh, which is – pretty much a safer spot to take a reliever but uh, a couple weird head scratching moves there but that was the big one was I think all of us were rather shocked when Chris Bryant was taken over the likes of you know Brandon Woodruff, Max Scherzer, Walker Bueller, Kyle Tucker. Kyle Tucker was taken after Chris Bryant. Kyle Tucker is going to give you five value points obviously he's a five tool player. Chris Bryant's not going to steal you bases. He still may not hit above 265 even eight course field yeah the home run total will probably rise I mean the RBI total won't go up that much more you're basically talking about power and that's about it when it comes to Chris Bryant so it was a little bit shocking to see that pick that early yeah once you go into the second round really outside of that again like I think the rest of the picks though were are all pretty good I was, I was hoping Jordan Alvarez is going to fall to me at the the 10th pick in the second round, he went wrong one pick before me. Ronald Acuna is maybe the most interesting to me in the second round just because of, um, you know, in a roto league where you might have to catch up. Like, how much is he going to give you? We don't really know. But, again, it's, it's hard to uh, be too mad at any of the picks there. Third round is, is where I start to get a little interesting. Um, I think third round is sometimes where you see – you know, if, if you don't get a, a hitter who gets you steals in the first two rounds, I think you start to see maybe some reaches in the third round. Whit Merrifield went with pick 28, which is a little bit of a, a reach. I know he's going to get you a ton of steals, but he's also getting older. Maybe some of that falls off, and um, uh, the power just wasn't there for him this past season. Now, in a 5x5, five five, you don't have to worry about the OBP or the slugging, but he's not going to contribute in another way. Starling Marte, and he's been going high in a lot of roto drafts just to begin with, so him going – 31 in our draft isn't like unorthodox, but I like we're not far removed from Starling Marte always being injured. I, I think that's kind of interesting. So yeah, I think what we saw in the uh, the third round was was maybe some reaches to try to um, make up for categories that you didn't have in the first two rounds. Whit Merrifield did surprise me. That was the one that opened my eyes as well. I'll be honest. I think Tim Anderson with the 30th pick is a little early for him too um, because he's not necessarily going to contribute in the power category or RBIs. He will score runs, um, and in that lineup, he's going to score a lot. But I, I think if you are in the third round, you should still be looking for four to five category contributors. And with Tim Anderson, you're getting average. You are getting some stolen bases, but it's not like it's plentiful either. It's more of a – I would say Anderson is a higher floor 
than he is a high ceiling per se. Um, and so I, I would not personally select him in the top 30 picks when you still have the likes of guys that can contribute in those four categories. My pick in the, the third round was Matt Olson. And Olson can probably hit around 270, 275 in that Braves lineup. He's going to hit 40 home runs. He's going to drive in who God knows who, probably 120 RBIs and score a bunch of runs too. So that's just, I think, think a safer pick. Derek, your pick was pretty dang good as well in that third round. You took Manny Machado. That was one pick before Whit Merrifield. And we talked about it during the draft. Manny Machado will steal you a couple bases too. So um, I was a little shocked that Merrifield went as high as he did, um, especially considering the lineup around him is not going to drive him in a whole heck of a lot. So Andy's getting older. Yeah, and I also like the fact that, you know, third base, it, it feels like there's not a ton of elite options this year. I think um, once we get to the fourth round, there's a couple things that, that come to mind here in this fourth round. Now, you already mentioned the Kenley Jansen one, the first pick in the fourth round as the first closer, way too early. Um, but you see Salvador Perez going as the first catcher, going at uh, pick 40 there, and you're going to get a lot of home runs from Salvador Perez. He's He's going to have a – you know, not high average, but he's not going to have a low average either because he swings so much. So without the OBP, you don't have to worry about it. Um, I, it's not really my style of build taking a catcher that early, but if you get the same production out of Salvador Perez that you got last year, you're going to have a nice leg up on the competition at that catcher spot. To be fair, yeah, with the, uh, the style of getting a catcher um, in terms of timing – when you look at when Derek got his catcher, Derek went with Darno, and that was in the 20th round. That was pick 238. For me, I got one of the top catchers. I got Will Smith, and I was able to get him uh, in the seventh round. So we're talking a three-round differential, pick 77 versus pick 40. I, I agree with you. I just I think that there's other spots to fill. And Salvador Perez is not necessarily old per se, but it is dangerous, in my opinion, picking a catcher that early because they are the most volatile in terms of getting injured. And Salvador Perez has shown in the past that he can get injured. He also has shown that he can log a ton of innings. So you, you don't 100% know what you're going to get from him, as you mentioned. You know, he obviously absolutely mashed last year. And for that purpose, the numbers you're getting, sure, that they're pretty great. Um, I was in a draft the other day where I decided to wait heavily on a catcher, and I kind of regretted it towards the end of it. But it was also a deeper league. This is a 12-team league, by the way. Uh, the one that I waited on was a 16-team league, and I just decided uh, it's it's not worth it after maybe the top five. Um, and so you could look at it that way too. It's You probably want a top five catcher if you want to survive, or you could go with who Derek went with, which is also who I went with in that 16-team league, which is Darno. which, remember, he was not that far removed from having a top five type season. So it, it is hard to say. Um, fourth round's a little too early for me for picking a catcher. I will say – Based off looking at the fourth round, um, I was pretty happy with the value that I got. I, I think a lot of people are not sure exactly where to value Austin Riley because he doesn't steal bases. But the guy is going to hit around 300, and now he's got Matt Olson, who you can make the argument is just the same as Freddie Freeman. Plus, he should have Ronald Acuna Jr. hitting ahead of him for the majority of the season. Um, I, I like the potential that Austin Riley has. And if I can get him in the fourth or the fifth round, uh, to play both first and third base. I like the versatility. I like the lineup. I just think that he's a good, solid, safe pick for hitting 30-plus home runs and hitting 300. Yeah, so fifth round is is probably my favorite here in terms of value. Like, 
Going back to the conversation over Starling Marte in the mid-third round, would you rather have Cedric Mullins in the fifth round, early fifth, so maybe you have to use a late fourth, but early fifth rounder on Cedric Mullins or a mid-third on Starling Marte? Because if you need the steals, I'd rather have Mullins for that value. Um, you look at a guy like Eloy Jimenez. Would you rather have Eloy Jimenez in the mid-fifth or would you rather have, um, you know, Tay Oscar Hernandez or Nick Castellanos in the late third? I'd rather have for the value like Eloy Jimenez there. So I, I really liked the value that um, of some of the guys you can get in the fifth round. And I think that's the importance when you're doing these drafts, try to either map out beforehand or try to look what positions are maybe deeper than others or what positions can I get this or that? Or if I skip out on this category here, is there going to be an avenue for me to get it somewhere else like Cedric Mullins going in the fifth round to get me some steals? You know, there's, uh, I, I think this is the third pick that we've talked about already in the top five rounds that were kind of questionable, I would say. And, and this is not necessarily as big of a head scratcher, but same team that picked Chris Bryant, same team that picked Kenley Jansen. Uh, they selected Trevor Rogers, who, who has great potential, but I would say there's way more keeper potential there than there does current regular season 2022 value over the likes of who he picked him over because uh, some of the names that were still available – uh, I was a little shocked he decided to take him over the likes of even uh, Jose Barrios or um, you know, looked at Charlie Morton was still available there and Logan Webb was available. And I, I don't know, I just, I didn't love that pick uh, in the sixth round. I think that was probably the one big head scratcher. Um, I also am not a huge fan of Joe Musgrove. I know that he obviously had more of a breakout year, but I'm not willing to spend a top 60 pick on him. I'll be honest. I think there's better pitchers deeper and later in the draft and, uh, as Derek and I will talk about in a little bit, my draft strategy in this particular league was <laughs> was a little questionable at times because I went for straight up ceiling. I, I go for a value over safety for the most part. I, I start out with safety, and as the rounds advance, um, I start to take advantage of probably picks that maybe slip. Um, and not all of them are going to work out, by the way, and, and I, I know that going into it. But I will also remind everybody this. Your team that you draft – on draft day is absolutely not going to look the same as it will on the final day of the season. It won't look the same probably a month into the season, unless you're uh, a guy that happened to win our keeper league this past year who doesn't make any moves and yet somehow finds ways to win. It drives us insane. Um, but that's just something to keep in mind is that if, if you're a decent manager, you're going to find ways to, you know, respond to the issues that you have. So I, I will always use the later part of the draft to go for, you know, maybe some more questionable picks, some more high ceiling picks instead of uh, or high floor picks. I should, Yeah, exactly. High ceiling over um, high or low floor picks. Um, but the sixth round still way too early for that, in my opinion. So I, I'm a little bit different with my strategy. I, I like to get the guys with high floors. Um, I really put value on premium of playing time. Are you going to be hitting toward the middle or top of the order? Are you going to play a lot? each and every day. And I think this goes into the conversation. So Wander Frank Franco goes in the fourth round. Bobby Witt goes in the late sixth round. Um, I, I kind of have a thing where in one year leagues, I really don't want to pay the premium on young players. And I understand I could be missing out on, because if Bobby Witt like clicks right away, Bobby Witt does have the potential to be a five tool player and be a top 40, top 50 player. And you're, you're hitting on that. But I feel like, you know, you might hit that one risk at that early in the draft, but I, I don't know. I'm kind of anti taking the rookies that early because I feel like more often than not, they don't kind of live up to the billing, at least right in that rookie year. 
Yeah, I totally agree. I, you know, I was having Bobby Witt Jr. for sure on my radar because I'm willing to take him, uh, but not really where he was selected. He was selected 71st overall, which I'm not going to say that's a bad pick. Uh, I think it's kind of like Derek had mentioned. That's more on preference. For me, I kind of assess Witt to be a guy that I would select maybe in the ninth or the 10th round. If he's there, sure. I, I don't think that's much of a head scratcher. I, I agree with Derek. I think Bobby Wood Jr. is going to get at-bats this year. He's going to get opportunity. When he gets called up, expect him at the top of that lineup, uh, especially because the Royals aren't particularly deep, if you will. Um, but I will also say that, you know, up until probably the ninth or 10th round, I'm going to go with guys I trust, which – uh, just to give you guys listening a reference here, Derek's first 10 picks. Uh, Derek took Trey Turner with the first o- his first round third overall pick. Took Xander Bogart's 22nd pick, that second round. Third round pick, 27th overall, Manny Machado. Fourth, he had Josh Hader at 46. Fifth, he had Lance Lynn at 51. Uh, sixth round, Logan Webb at 70. That's great value right there. Seventh round, Frankie Montas at 75. Eighth round, Dylan Cease, great value, 94. Ninth round, love this pick, Kyle Schwarber, 99. And then he had Jesse Winker, who is way undervalued, the 10th round at 118, which is probably, I would say, 38 picks off of where he probably should be picked. Um, and for me, I went all hitters. I went Bo Bichette in the first round, Shohei Otani in the second, Matt Olson in the third, Austin Riley in the fourth, Eli Jimenez in the fifth, Tyler O'Neill in the sixth, Will Smith in the seventh. And then I took a chance. I took Fernando Tatis Jr. with the eighth round. That's 92nd pick overall. That's when I said I'd kind of start to experiment. If he's in the 90s, that's where I'm willing to take him. Ninth round, I took Max Muncie 101. And then Giovanni Gallegos, my first pitcher, uh, closer for the Cardinals, I took 116 10th round. So I, I think, as you can see, a, a trend there. Me and Dusty didn't really take pitchers high. For I, I know for Dusty that was a designed plan, and we'll get into that in a second. For me, I actually was hoping that with my late second-round pick, I would get one of those guys, you know, the Scherzers, Woodruffs, Bueller, you know, DeGrom or something to drop to me at pick 22. Um, and when it wasn't there, I just, you know, adjust, take a hitter. I think once you don't get that top-tier guy, you're better off waiting until those middle rounds. So basically I had to opt into being a situation of, okay, I might not have that top tier guy. How can I build up my pitcher depth? How can I, you know, make it so that my number two is better than someone else's number two. And I will say, if you don't get that top tier guy in maybe the first or second round, you might be okay waiting until the fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth round and stuff. Because I mean, these are some of the names that went in rounds five and beyond Freddie Peralta, who maybe there's a bit of a lower floor there and a higher ceiling, but nonetheless, uh, Lance Lynn, who that is kind of a high ceiling guy and in a one-year league can be really good. Logan Webb, Kevin Gossman, Frankie Montas, Charlie Morton, uh, Alec Manoa, he has high potential. These are all guys that, that went rounds like four through seven, and then you have some other guys who have interesting potential. Justin Verlander in the ninth round. So um, if you avoid pitching early on, you either need to prioritize it in those kind of middle early-ish rounds which you can but there's also the other strategy which is whatever Dusty did yeah so my strategy it's uh it's pretty simple I I think that hitting value wise just goes a lot further um the thing is this when you play in standard roto leagues like what we're doing right now um there's pitcher slots there's relief pitcher spots those are just two positions right In the hitter category, it's so much more selective, way more premium positions. And 
to me, at least in terms of trading, I find it to be a lot more difficult to fill and trade for hitters uh, because people get more coveted over their guys that are about to have a potential. Uh, shortstops are hard to come across. Second basemen are hard to come across. Third basemen, as Derek mentioned, they're hard to come across. Pitchers, you know, injuries are almost inevitable for the majority of these guys throughout the year. Um, you're going to see a lot, I feel like, of six-man rotations this year. Uh, and so I just feel like pickups-wise, as long as you're smart with who you're going after, if you're staying with the times – you should be able to manage to log innings. Uh, I will prob probably play the streaming game, to be honest with you, uh, because I like streaming matchups. I'd rather have guys hitting-wise that I know I could trust to hit 300 a week or close to it or hit bombs. And um, pitchers-wise, it's just so difficult. And I, I've already tried the other strategy, which is going early on pitching and then waiting on hitting. And what I learned, um, it was a year or two ago, I had gotten Garrett Cole and Shane Bieber in back-to-back -back rounds. And then injuries as well as tough matchups in the playoffs. Like, like it's just so difficult to predict exactly the journey that a pitcher is going to have. So, yeah, Garrett Cole, you can almost expect he's going to get a three ERA or around that or less with 250-plus strikeouts. Okay, You know he's going to get that. But even in Roto Leagues, you don't know in terms of versatility or times of the year when, he, when he's going to get hurt. And so I'd rather maximize my opportunity to find better matchups day to day that, yeah, maybe a pitcher will have a four ERA overall throughout the season. But if I can stream the right guy on the right day, it's way more volatile. But who knows? What if I get a guy like I'm just going to throw this name out there? What if Mackenzie Gore gets called up, you know, in, I, I don't know, May or June? And Gore has a great matchup against uh, a team like the Diamondbacks. Well, I'm going to probably stream Mackenzie Gore, and I'd rather, you know, have the availability for that while having guys in my lineup I can trust to produce. And it's not the same way for me with hitters because, um, as Derek kind of mentioned, I, I have the same mentality. I do like where a guy is positioned in the lineup, and that generally doesn't change immediately versus pitchers there is a trend where there is just this constant cycle. How many different closers, Derek, last year did we see uh, that fell out of the role, that were replaced, that got hurt? It's just, it, it, to me, there's so much more turnover, and I just, quite frankly, don't trust pitching like I do hitters. Okay, I want to get to some of our favorite value picks. I'm, I'm scrolling through here. Uh, somebody got Jared Kelenic in the late 14th round. I think it was picked like 165, which um, – there's very much a chance that Jared Kelenic ends up as not even like a top 300 player. I mean, if he plays like he did last year, that's the case. But at that point, I'm, I'm very willing to take that risk. If you look at some of his projections, if you're looking at like the bad X or zips or whatever, it pretty much has him somewhere between 20 and 22 home runs, uh, high 50s to low 70s RBIs, uh, about a dozen steals or so hitting like 230 with a 300 OBP. I think he can increase on those numbers. I, I think last year was just so terribly bad. I'm not expecting it to be that bad. And, like, if you give me the over-under on Jared Kellenick hitting 230, I'm taking the over. Um, again, doesn't mean it's going to for sure happen because he only hit 181 last year in 93 games. But I think if he, if he just comes closer to that potential, he, he struck out 28% of the time last year. And you're talking about a guy who, I get it, double A and triple A, but in 2019 and double A, struck out 18.5% of the time. In 2021, 15% of the time. So I think he, he has a much better season this year, and you're getting a guy late in the draft who can get you steals, who can fill up the five different tools for you. Even if he does only hit, you know, 240 or 250, which is still above the projections, 
you're probably looking at 20 to 25 home runs with, you know, 10 to 15 steals. Like, I think there's a lot of value in uh, him for me in the 14th round. Um, and then, you know, I, I think that um, anybody who's injured, anybody who's young, who, like I said, I, I don't like taking young guys, rookies in the very top rounds. But if you get them later in the draft, like I took Brian Hayes in the uh, 16th round because it goes back in line with what I like. I want playing time, which I think he'll get with the Pirates, and he can get me steals from the third base position. Um, I like Gene Segura in the 18th round. He gets you playing time. He can uh, get you a, a high floor. I, I think that Eddie Rosario is going to hit you, you know, high average. He'll get you playing time going in the 19th round. So uh, picks like that kind of stick out to me. Yeah, no doubt. I, I, I actually fully agree on all those names that you threw out there. And I actually, when I look at some of the later rounds, the 20th round, so picks from 229 to 240, there were some really good, in my opinion, value picks for that time. So uh, as Derek kind of mentioned, you have the younger rookie guys. Now in this league that we have, we don't have an NA or a prospect position. So it is a little bit difficult because if you have a guy that's sent down, they may have to just kind of rot on your bench until they get called up. Let's be honest. Um, the, these guys that you're picking, they're probably not going to be down very long. And uh, the first one that sticks out is O'Neill Cruz. I feel like O'Neill Cruz is going to be a five-category guy. The average may not necessarily be there quite early on, but I love the potential. He's going to get the at-bats when he gets called up. He's going to probably get outfield eligibility as well as shortstop eligibility, which makes him even more valuable. He was the 230th pick. And if you're telling me that it's not worth it, I don't know what to say. That is a great value pick, even for a one-year league. I think he's going to be a great keeper. I traded for him in our keeper league, and I firmly believe that he is the real deal. You can't tell me a six foot seven shortstop that has raw power, that has the exit velocity of 118 miles per hour is not worth it. That guy is definitely worth it at two, pick 230. And pick 231, another guy that I really love is Frank Schwindel. Um, he's got one of those names of a guy that just doesn't sound like a major league baseball player. Uh, <laughs> they're just <laughs> some guys that you make fun of the names. I made fun of Cedric Mullins last year, and then you saw what he did. I think Schwindel is going to offer around 280, 290 average potential. Um, he could hit around 20, 25 home runs on a Cubs team where he's going to be starting. Uh, so I really like that in that 20th round. Um, and you keep kind of searching around. The 20th round was shockingly really pretty productive for some of these teams. Tanner Houck was pick, picked in that round, a Boston Red Sox starter. Um, I really like the potential there for Houck, especially because the rotation is not particularly deep. He was going to be my pick until he was taken literally the pick before me. So I took Riley Green, yet another player that sounds like he's going to be on the opening day roster. And if so, for the Tigers, he's going to get possible five-category potential too, just like O'Neal Cruz. So. I love what we saw there. And then a guy that I really think is slept on by a lot of people is A.J. Pollock. He was taken at the 237 pick. He was probably going to be my next round pick. A.J. Pollock, Derek, I don't think people realize the numbers this guy put up a year ago and also just in general what he's done in the past. So he had 297 last year. He had 21 home runs. He stole nine bases. All of that was in 384 at-bats. And so he's going to be a starter for the Dodgers this year. And uh, to be quite frank, I mean, if you're giving him 500 at-bats, A.J. Pollock's going to hit around 25, 30 home runs. I don't expect the average to be that high. I expect maybe a little drop-off there. But if he gives you 275 with 30 home runs, is 20th round just not a great spot to get that? I don't know. He's going to steal probably around 10 bases. 
I think that's a great value. And then finally, there was one more for me in that 20th round that kind of stood out that I, I really liked, and it was Derek's pick. Uh, I think that getting your catcher in the 20th round, Travis Darno, I, I still think there's some potential there for him to give you at least decent value at the catcher position. 20th round is a great spot. I mean, you, you didn't waste any time, you know, in the early rounds getting your guy. So get a guy that you can trust to give you probably around 15, 20 home runs in, in a really good lineup. So I like that pick. Yeah, I really liked that stretch 19th to 20th round. Um, and one of the things also I noticed, you don't need to go too early on bench outfield because there are good outfielders you can get late in the draft. Like Akil Badu, he's going to get you steals. He's going to get you a lot of playing time for the Tigers going in the late 19th round. Somebody got Joe Adele in the late 19th round, which I like the potential that. for that. You mentioned A.J. Pollock in the 20th round. Uh, Tommy, Fram, Tommy Pham is in a hitter's ballpark on a bad team. He'll get steals. He'll get home runs with the Reds. He goes in the 21st round. Um, we had some guys go undrafted who were good outfielders. But I, I think that, you know, again, if, if you're looking for bench outfielders, know that you can wait longer in the draft because you'll be able to find some uh, good options there. Yeah, no doubt. And I think that um, just kind of going through the entire draft, it's pretty funny to watch the differences from team to team of strategy purposes. But as you kind of look at it, there were a lot of outfielders that were taken late in the draft. And that's because there's a lot of very talented outfielders there. I'll add Harrison Bader to that list. Uh, remember at one point last year, Harrison Bader was a man on fire. So if he can tap into that potential a little bit, I mean, you might see a guy that could go 2020. Uh, and to get that in our draft in the 21st round, that, that's pretty solid. So I, I do really like what we saw deep in the draft. And um, from my takeaways from this, I would say that overall, there were not a lot of head scratchers. The, the big one that I'm interested in, to be honest, is the 22nd pick for uh, one of the teams in our league. Uh, none of us know who this guy is, but he took Julio Rodriguez. And if Julio Rodriguez is starting on the Mariners, that could very well be the steal of the draft because Julio Rodriguez, I think, is going to be a superstar the moment he steps out on the field. So Bobby Wood Jr. taken with the 71st pick and Julio Rodriguez, who I don't think is that much off from Bobby Wood Jr., you could be talking about literally such a huge differential in terms of draft picks. I mean, almost a 200-pick differential. And uh, so that's going to be interesting to monitor what happens with Julio Rodriguez because he could be really a value pick. Another guy, and it's one that I selected, I didn't have any intention whatsoever of drafting Michael Conforto. We'll talk about Conforto more in a little bit, but I got him in the 18th round. That was pick 212. Uh, let's not forget, you know, he's two years removed from hitting 300. So it's going to really depend on the team he goes to. It's going to depend on uh, who he signs with. But uh, there was a report actually today during the day of reporting where uh, they were waiting on his draft, uh, or actually not his draft, his uh, signing, because apparently he had rolled up on an injury. And so they wanted to make sure he was fully healthy to sign the proper length contract. So that just was revealed today. Um, and hopefully by the time this podcast launches, he'll be signed. <laughs> Well, that gets us into our shotgun six-pack, where your 18th round pick, Michael Conforto, signs with blank. You know, I think the best fit for him would be a team like the Texas Rangers. I would love to see the Rangers make one more move. I think they could really use a solid lefty bat as well in the outfield. And if they sign Conforto, I'm telling you, that is a formidable lineup right there. You have Seager, you have Semyon, and you have Conforto in the same lineup. There, there's some damage to be done. 
Um, I'll try to manifest this for the locals. I'll say Kansas City Royals. I don't know. I, I think that the, the longer the market stalls out, it has to be good for a smaller market team like the Royals. They could use another outfielder. They could use a left-handed hitting outfielder. I'd like to see him give up a little more lineup protection for, for a guy like Bobby Witt. So, I'll, I don't know. I'll just go with the Royals and, and shoot my shot there. Uh, Michael Conforto signs before or after April 6th, which April 7th is opening day. This is so difficult because with that report, it sounds like uh, Conforto is now just getting healthy again. So uh, the question is, what is a week going to do? You know, is that going to make a significant impact in, you know, signing a guy to a multi-million dollar contract? I have a gut feeling he may actually end up signing a one-year deal. Um, and so I'll say before, I'll say before April 6th. Uh, uh, I don't know. I'm going to oh. say after I'm leaning after I don't know why um I just think at this point like no need to rush it you know wait another week or two at this point if you're not signed and just see if it, I don't know maybe a guy goes down with injury or maybe a team starts out poorly that's expected to be good and then all of a sudden they're like all right we'll give you a couple extra million like we need you to come in I don't know I'll just say after one of us uh, will owe a drink if uh whoever gets that right the other one owes a drink all right deal uh, number three, Spencer Torkelson, Riley Green, Julio Rodriguez, O'Neill Cruz, Hunter Green, all players who, um, if they don't start in the majors, which actually a good amount of them are, in the case of like O'Neill Cruz, it's probably going to be a, oh, he sits out for like two weeks and then comes up. Uh, who finishes the highest in the rankings at the end of the year in a standard 5 by 5 roto league? This is so difficult because it's all based off perspective. And I'll say that Riley Green gets the uh, the head start out of all of them. I know Hunter Green will start in the rotation too. A little worried about the actual stadium he's pitching in. Um, and young pitchers generally don't do great initially. So uh, I'm going to go with the guy that I trust the most. I think Riley Green's going to hit around 275, 280. Probably will pop around 17 to 18 home runs and steal probably around that same amount of bases. I think that's good enough to be a potential rookie of the year candidate. So I'll go Riley Green. I'm going to actually go with O'Neill Cruz, even though he could miss a couple more weeks than the other guys. I am all in on the O'Neill Cruz bandwagon. Um, I think he's going to hit for huge power. I think that he's going to get a ton of playing time. Whenever he does come up for the Pirates, he's going to be hitting near the top of the order because that team doesn't you know, have very many good players. Um, so I, I don't know. I'll go with O'Neill Cruz. But yeah, this could be a great, rookie of the year race in in both leagues maybe as good as as we've seen in quite some time fernando tatis jr should be picked with a top blank pick so i picked him with the 92nd pick and i didn't feel bad about that at all i feel like if you take him in the 90th round or later or not 90th round that would be special that would be that, really impressive if you could pull that off if you could take fernando tatis jr with the 90th pick or later I don't think there's any problem because, quite frankly, once you start to see the players that are available at that time, they're going to be putting up the exact same counting stats as what Tatis will probably put up in one half of a season. So that's why, at that point, I kind of felt comfortable with that. Plus, once you get to that range, there's really no guys that will be stealing bases. And so you have to assume Tatis will still be doing that. If you're going to tell me that I could get Tatis's counting stats for an entire half of the year – and I have to stash him on an IL, which doesn't hurt me that much, I'm willing to do it. So I'll take the 90th picker later. So I, I do have a question of if he is going to be getting as many steals. I wonder if with all these injuries that have racked up, they're going to kind of um, put containment on that. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, you, you have to try to find the line of, like, who's a guy who uh, might end up with the same numbers as him? Like, I, 
I might even be okay going even earlier than that. Um, like Giancarlo Stanton could be going in that like 60 to 70 range, but he always gets hurt too. You know, it's just the perception is, oh, well, Stanton hypothetically might not get hurt this year because it hasn't happened yet. But like Stanton and, and Tatis, I don't know, they might end up with like near similar amounts of games played. Adalberto Mondesi in that like 70s range. So honestly, I'd be fine taking him in like the top 70 even, honestly. I like it. Okay, uh, number five, who will pitch more innings, Jacob DeGrom or Justin Verlander? I'm going to say Justin Verlander. Um, DeGrom's injury history has scared me. Uh, it seems like Verlander is healthy again. I'm kind of bummed. We didn't even touch on value picks but uh, for, for Justin Verlander purposes. But in our draft, I believe Verlander was taken with the 104th pick, if I'm not mistaken. Let me check that. He was taken, I know, in the ninth round, and I was planning on snagging him um and uh, I was incredibly bummed yeah he was taken with the 104th pick I feel like that could be such a steal that he could give you probably five rounds of value earlier um if you look at it and so I think he's a great late pick and Justin Verlander when he's healthy which it seems like he is again he can go deep in the season he'll probably rack up 200 strikeouts again and I just don't know about DeGrom anymore I, I get really concerned about it um, I, I root for the guy cause I love DeGrom, but, um, yeah, as a fan of baseball, I want DeGrom to stay healthy as a fantasy player. If you're telling me I'd rather take DeGrom in the second or third round or Verlander with the ninth or 10th round pick, I'm probably going to do the latter, um, because I think Verlander may actually pitch as many, or in this case, I'll take more innings than DeGrom. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go Verlander. Did you know in Verlander's career, and I get it, Verlander's whatever, five years older or something than DeGrom. Uh, Verlander has pitched 200 or more innings in a season 12 times. Jacob DeGrom's done it three times. And I, I kind of think at this point, like if you're drafting Jacob DeGrom, is kind of your expectation for what Clayton Kershaw was two, three years ago, where you know you're going to get like elite ratios. And when he's out there, he's going to be one of the best pitchers, if not the best pitcher in the MLB. You just can't expect it for more than 20 to 25 starts in a season, 140 to 160 innings in the season. And I, I, the Astros will be careful with Justin Verlander. So I think it does limit his innings, and I don't expect him to get to 200 innings this year. But I'm kind of thinking Verlander could get you 160 to 180, and I'm expecting DeGrom more like 140 to 160. Uh, last one, best last-round pick in uh, the draft. Yeah, if you go through our last round, so that's round number 23, uh, just going from the top, 265 all the way to the final pick, which was 276. I'll list them directly in order. Zach Grinke, your Kansas City Royals. Uh, Kike Hernandez, Patrick Wisdom, that was Derek's pick. Uh, Charlie Blackman, Denelson Lamette, Miguel Sano, Mike Zanino, Lucas Sims, David Fletcher, Bobby Dahlbeck, Luis Sessa, and Corey Kluber. Out of that list, um, and there's actually some pretty good value across the board there. I will probably end up just based off potential. I kind of want to go with Kike Hernandez. Um, I really like the value that he has at second base uh, because second base is not a deep position and he can play outfield as well. And you saw what he did in the postseason. If he can translate any of that to the regular season and also in a lineup, you know, he's hitting leadoff in with now Trevor story in it. I don't know. Kike could really go off this year. It would not shock me at all if Kike stole, I don't know, 10 bases and hit 25 home runs. I don't think the average is going to be that high. It'll probably be around 260. But if you're telling me that I can get that value 
in the final round at pick 266. Sign me up. I like Kike at that role. That was my favorite as well. We did that episode, I don't know, three, four, five weeks ago, talking about some late value picks. And he was one of the ones we highlighted in a lot of different categories. So I love that one. I like the Patrick Wisdom one for me because I needed power. I needed a multi-positional eligibility. But I also love the Granky one. I, I think he'll have a good season in Kansas City. And, you know, uh, we're in a league where ERA is one of the five categories and K per nine is not. His K per nine is down. And yeah, strikeouts is, is a category. But um, I, I think he's going to have a really good year with the Royals. He's starting opening day for them. It's a pitcher's ballpark. Uh, but, yeah, Kika Hernandez is, is probably the number one for me as well. Okay, that's this edition of Booze and Baseball with Dusty Baker. I'm Derek Johnson. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. Follow us at Booze and Baseball on Twitter. We've also got a special NOS podcast that's going to be coming out uh, kind of weekly starting next week. So be on the lookout for that with JustBaseball.com. But that's going to do it for this show. Have a good rest of your day, night, morning, whenever you're listening to this, and talk to you next time. Happy opening day, everybody. We are excited to have baseball back.